Welcome to PlayStation Daily. I'm John Blanco. Today, I'm talking about how important story is to a game. Before we get to this interesting topic for today, a little bit of news. My wife has broken the stalemate, and for my birthday, which was last Friday, she bought me the Cosmic Red PS5 controller. I'm so very happy. I could not pick a color for a PS5 controller. <laughs> and so she got me one. And you know what? No matter what color it was, I was going to love it because it was being given to me. Uh, but but secretly, I really feel like Cosmic Red was the one that I want. And it's it's definitely not red. I mean, it's Cosmic Red. It looks almost like a purple. It's like between a red and a pink. Um, but I really like it. It's really unique. And it pretty much establishes that if I get new console covers, I'm probably going to go with Cosmic Red to match it. Um, I have a black and a white controller, and I feel like those are pretty neutral. But anyway, so happy for that. And then I'm going to break my rule for one topic per day with this short little prediction. As you are listening to this, or maybe, I mean, maybe it depends when you listen to this podcast, but on Monday, November 13th, the Game Awards is announcing their nominees for Game of the Year. I want to make a prediction of what the six games will be. Now, I'm assuming it's going to be six games. That's, I think they always did five and then they added one recently, but I think it's still going to be six this year. Here are the six games. Now, I haven't, these, these are not necessarily like my choices. Keep in mind, I'm trying to predict what the Game Awards will do. I think there's three games that we will definitely see no doubt about it and i'll tell you why first of all tears of the kingdom which is my personal favorite game that i played this year they're going to represent nintendo you know it, it this game is ungodly good tears of the kingdom that's for sure baldur's gate 3 that's for sure as well a, a game like we've never seen before fantastic loved it can't wait to play it again that for sure the third one that i'm going to predict is starfield now, I don't think, and I haven't played Starfield. It's not my kind of game. It's an Xbox exclusive. I'm not going to play 60 hours a game on my Xbox. But I think they're going to go, just like they would do with Nintendo, they're going to go for what, what is, you know, Xbox's best release of the year. And they didn't have the greatest year. Uh, but, but Starfield is going to be there. Now, if they were going to pick an Xbox game, I would say they should have went with Hi-Fi Rush. Now, of course, they didn't do it yet. Maybe they will. Maybe they will go with Hi-Fi Rush. But I think if you're going to pick one game to represent Xbox this year, it should be Hi-Fi Rush because it was unique and, you know, not a perfect game. Got a little grindy in the middle, but so much fun, so colorful. But I think they're going to go with Starfield. It's just the gravitational force. Now, the next three really can, can be kind of anything, but... Uh, not to say recency bias, I think Spider-Man 2 now deserves to be on this list. I think Spider-Man 2 makes a run for being my favorite game of the year. It was that good. Sea of Stars. Now, I played Sea of Stars. I thought it was a good game. Um, I had good gameplay and whatever. I feel like the story broke down and got a little draggy, and I'll actually talk a little bit about that later. But... I feel like every year now they try to save a spot for an indie game. And I think there's a few indie games that could be here. Dave the Diver or Dredge can certainly be here. I would prefer to see Dredge because I, I, <laughs> I accidentally bought it. But um, I think Sea of Stars is more of like the narrative, you know, game. It's very pretty, too. It's probably the prettiest of all the games. 
I think this will be the indie entry for the year. And then the last one can be so many different games. I'm going to I'm going to go with a surprise here. I think Alan Wake 2 is going to do it. I think Alan Wake 2 is going to sneak in there. So those are my six games I'm predicting will be the game of the year nominee. So we'll, we'll see. So let's get to it now. Uh, the topic of today is about stories and games and how important they are. And I'll be honest, I, I, I thought of this topic because I was listening to Game Scoop this week and they were talking about stories not really being that important to a game. Now, the consensus among the hosts was there was two 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 points of view. One is story isn't important because if you play a game that has a good story but has bad gameplay, it's going to be a bad game. And if you play a game with a bad story but good gameplay, it's going to be a good game. And that's a hard <laughs> that's a really a hard thing to argue that gameplay actually is more important to the story, even though our better angels suggest that story is really important. And we'd like to think story is important. But yeah, gameplay probably does take precedent. But some of the hosts were kind of seeing it as a game with a really good story is special and that games can tell a story in such a unique way, an interactive way. And also there's games with choice. And I agree with that, too, because one of my one of the genres I never played as a kid or I mean, really, they didn't have it when I was a kid. I mean, we barely had video games when I was a kid. Uh, but the game that has I mean, in the last 10 years or so has really um, blossomed are narrative games, games, games that are all story. And when those games tell a really good story, damn, <laughs> fantastic. Now, I'm in the pro story camp, and here's why. There's a lot of games that I've played that I've really enjoyed, but the games that have a really good story always float it to the top, even if gameplay is better. And I like story in lots of different ways. If you look at what my favorite games of all time are or the games that I loved this year, I think there's a there's multiple ways that games do tell stories. And, you know, or the ordinary way to tell a story in a game is like what we see in The Last of Us, um, Horizon Zero Dawn, especially in that series, and more recently, Spider-Man 2. Just an ordinary thing. You get some story in the beginning, you play some game, you get a cutscene, um, you get a story beat, you play some gameplay, like that. That is like the ordinary way to tell a story. Now there's this sort of, I don't know the best word for it, uh, progressive or... Mm, there's a better word for this, but I'll, I'll use an example. The way that Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom tells a story, if you've ever played those games, that you can pick up on little bits of story very asynchronously in different orders, depending on how you play the game. Uh, similarly, Elden Ring. Now, I didn't love Elden Ring's story. In fact, I didn't see much story through the game. And one day I will play it again. But I just didn't like the way it told the story. And I think that might have been interrupted by the fact that I might spend three hours trying to beat one boss and I just lose track. But Elden Ring had a weird story. But I do like the way that style of telling a story and like depending on the directions I go and the order I do things, I pick up those little bits of story in different ways. And in my mind, I pull them together. So regardless of that, I particularly like that story. I like that method of storytelling. And then there's the the literal stories, the the Life is Strange games, Heavy Rain, uh, Until Dawn and the Quarry, those games that are just narrative. They are literally telling a story and you can make de decisions that affect that story. 
And so you've been told a unique story that very few people have gotten. You know, it's like a snowflake, right? That the combination of choices you made are probably unmatched, even though in a lot of these narrative games, even if you don't pick the right choices, you're still kind of getting the same story anyway. But technically, you have been given a unique story that no one else has ever gotten. So that's that's but I love stories and games. My favorite games all have the best stories. It's what separates regular good games from great games. And I was thinking about this this weekend, too, because I have realized I just don't like Diablo anymore. (laughs) And I didn't play Diablo until Diablo three. And even then I played that very late, but it was coming to the switch and I was like, oh, let me try it. Oh, no, no. I had played it on the Mac for some reason. So when you go in Target, like they don't sell many PC games, but they have a few. And Diablo just looked so pretty. And it was a game I had never played. And I played it and I enjoyed it. I played through the whole story. And then I tried it on a different tier. But I was just doing the, the campaign over and over again. And then I played it on the Switch and I really enjoyed it. Um, I got to meet my my friend Drew and he became my podcast partner through Diablo. But with, with Diablo 4... What I found when I first started playing it, season one, was, wow, it's so addictive. Like, you start off, you're level one, you kill a few enemies, you're level two, you get uh, an attack, and, um, you know, it's just like, oh, there's always something to do, and and constantly your level's going up, and you're getting new weapons and whatever, and I love that game loop. That game loop is so important in a game, like the grind and all that. But I I found that over time, after about 30 to 40 hours, I started to get really bored of Diablo and I, I put it down. I didn't get to level 100. Then recently, I mentioned last week, I started up Diablo 4 again. New season, new character, new type. I was a rogue. And let me try it. And I was enjoying it again. Start level one. Every little chest you see has like, oh God, 24 gold. That's so much, you know. And I was enjoying it again, and there was a, a season quest that I hadn't done before, and I was playing through the quest, and it was the same old nonsense, you know, but, like, it was new and fresh and whatever. And then over the last couple days, you get to a point in season two where it's like, oh, you know, you have to finish all the season two stuff. And it's like, oh, and that was a grind, 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 and then I did it. And I just wanted to finish the season storyline, and then I would have been done, I think. I was like, okay, I don't need to do all the end game stuff and bosses and whatever. And then it said I had to do all the chapter three stuff (laughs) for the season. And I was like, no way, forget it. And I think the reason why I don't like Diablo anymore is that I do love the game loop and I do love games with a good game loop. But once that game loop starts to become a big, big loop and the next peg on that loop, the next big accomplishment becomes so much further away, even like hours away. You need a story to keep you going. You need to, I need to I need to be able to go I'm I want to do this thing that might take me a few hours cuz I want to hear the next part of the story and nothing has a worse story than Diablo, especially Diablo 4. There are people who said they really liked the story of Diablo 4. Now, I don't get it. I found it really kind of bland. So that's I think what it is is I you know, I can and if I I started chapter 3 in Diablo tomorrow I'd probably have a good time for a few days, but I will always like, it'll always wear out. And that is because the story isn't there. And so I I think I figured out my Diablo problem. Now games that are the worst with story are the games that have too much dialogue. I call this being like overly chatty and it drives me nuts. It's when you're playing a game, especially games that don't have the voice acting, 
hey, 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 and you're going through chat, and my wife is going through this with Eastward, which is a game I'd always heard was overly chatty. You're following the story, and they're trying to tell you a story, but because it's so chatty, she is now just skipping through all the dialogue. So she's playing a game that's trying to tell a story, but because they tried to tell so much story, she's completely ignoring the story. And you ask yourself, why is Eastward doing that? Why do, why do these overly chatty games do it? Well, there is no cheaper way to fill up your game time than with dialogue. You know, you don't want to sell a game and say, oh, you can beat this game in 10 hours, so you, you don't want to pay 50 or 60 bucks for it. But if you can say the game takes 20 hours and then fill it up with endless chat... You know, that's the cheapest way to do it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it only takes about 10 seconds to add about 10 seconds of reading to a game. So that's that's when games, I think, are their worst at story. Also, and this doesn't mean that a game is bad with story, but games that tell some story and then just drop you into a game that the gameplay doesn't feel like it matches that storyline can be rough. You know, I'm seeing some cutscenes, some visuals, and then you drop me into a forest and I have a gun, you know, or something like that. Spider-Man 2 does such a good job because this, the your character animates right into the cutscenes and then animates right out of the cutscenes. So they don't even feel like cutscenes. They feel like just in-game story being told to you. But yeah, like often like older games will do that where it's like a, not a live action cutscene, but like a pre-rendered cutscene. And then they drop you into the game and your character looks different. That's when stories are bad. Uh, some other examples, too, uh, recently um, that I noticed. Uh, Wargroove 2, as a game, I think that's only on Nintendo Switch right now, but um, should probably probably will come to PlayStation someday, is also noticeably chatty for a tactics game. Uh, I loved Wargroove 1, but yeah, like you end up with just like so much useless dialogue in this game. And again, I think it was just to fill up the time for a game that was actually a little bit shorter. Another great example a game that I love to death, Slay the Spire. You can play it for free on PS Plus. I mean, it's so good. But it's just a deck-building roguelike. When I got into that genre, um, I you know, there weren't a ton of other games like it or games I was interested in, but the company Clay, they, who do the uh, Don't Starve games, and Mark of the Ninja, which is such an amazing game, they put out Griftlands. And nobody talks about Griftlands. And like to this day, I'm the only one I know who's played Griftlands. If you've played Grifflands, please send me an email and say I played it. But the thing about Grifflands was it's just like Slay the Spire and you have decks and you have two decks in the game. But they added a story on top. And at first I thought this would be cool. It has a story. But when you play a game that's so perfect like Slay the Spire, getting a story put in feels like it slows you down. So when I played Grifflands, I was like, look, I just want to I just want to do cards. And I'm like constantly being besieged by this story and the a run because it is a roguelike a run can take you five hours and at the time i was like god slay the spire is like 45 minutes to an hour so um and i won't say grifflands is bad in fact when i was doing research for this topic i i'll save that for another day but let's just say i was reminded of grifflands and now i want to go play grifflands and then Sea of Stars is another game where i think over time they fed you a little too much dialogue and what happened was you feel like you're trying to do a thing. You accomplish the thing. And then they're like, well, now you got to do this other thing. And you're like, okay, let me do this thing. And then I think I'm done. And then they're like, well, no, no, no. you got to do this other thing. Anytime a story is not leading you to a place. One of the things I love about The Last of Us is in the very beginning, they say, Joel, your mission is to take Ellie 
to the Fireflies. And very quickly, he's like, I need to go to um, this place. And we're going to travel all along the way. And I love that. And then when you get there, that's when the game ends. But Sea of Stars, I never knew when the ending was going to be. Um, also, Nino Kuni, <laughs> if you've ever played that. It's called Nino Kuni and like uh, something of the White Witch. I can't remember the exact title. And you fight the White Witch at the end. That should be the end of the game, right? And it's like, nope, there's another villain. And it's like this orb. <laughs> Wrath of the White Witch, it's called. And it's this faceless, nameless orb. And I always that always annoyed me. It's like, the game is called The Wrath of the White Witch. The White Witch should be the final boss. I don't like when games don't lead you on to where the ending is. Now, when are games at their best in story? Uh, I think it's games that get to the gameplay quickly and then tell their story as they go. I feel that way about tutorials, honestly. Let's just start playing and tutorialize me and give me story as we go. There is no better example of it to this day than Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. That game, and you've, I mean, one day I hope they bring that to PlayStation someday. I still think Nintendo needs to take a game and put it on PlayStation, Xbox, whatever. That game literally starts with Nintendo Presents, and then you wake up, and you're out of the chamber, and you're already playing the game. So great. Every game needs to be like that. I, I now get a little irritated when games start up and they give you like a five-minute story sequence. It's like, no, 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 no. Let me start. Let me move around. Let me jump. Let me uh, grab an item. Then tell me some story. But like, get me involved right away. Uh, Spider-Man 2 is fantastic at it. I still, still love the way Spider-Man 2 starts up. Like, you have a game and it's going to have Peter Parker and Miles Morales. They could do a whole bunch of story or figure out how they get them together. And it's like the way they start them in the classroom and then immediately Miles sees trouble and then Peter and Miles and they play the song and they just go and they have this whole tutorialized sequence about how to play the game, fighting a boss that you might think has nothing to do with the game, but story-wise they do. But it's like, cool. I mean, it literally could have been a final boss in any other game. And that's the tutorial section for Spider-Man 2. Fantastic. And then games like Ace Attorney, the Phoenix Wright games. I love those games so much. But the way they tell their story is through a court case and progressively finding more evidence. And so you think you know the story, and then some evidence comes, and there's twist, 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 twist. That's the way to tell games, not with overwhelming amounts of, you know, upfront story, and then we'll tell you one every chapter or whatever like that. Celeste is another great example. It just, you know, fantastic ways to tell story. And the most special games, like I just said, Celeste, Breath of the Wild... The Life of Strange games, the most special games have the most special stories and tell them better than any other game, no matter how good the gameplay is, um, can always do it the best, but don't waste it, right? Don't just put in lines and lines and lines of dialogue to make people think they're playing a longer game. Tell your story, make it count, make it succinct, and people will read it and love it. So what do you think about games? I'd love to hear uh, your opinion of how important are they to you? Honestly, to say that they're not important at all in a game, even if you are making a point that gameplay is the most meaningful thing, I think is, I, I just think that's not not the way to think. I think I think story is super important to games and, and they can uniquely tell a story that movies just can't. 
PlayStation Daily is your daily podcast for everything Sony PlayStation. You can send me topic ideas you'd like to hear me talk about, feedback for the show, tell me to stop going over my 15-minute limit, or just say hello on threads at PSDailyPod, or send me an email to PlayStationDailyPod at gmail.com. Hope you've enjoyed today's pod. Happy gaming, happy holidays, and until next time. PlayStation.